All right, Ephesians chapter 2, we better get going here. Among whom also we all, verse number 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray you bless us now as we look at the scriptures tonight. Help us understand these words and to grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul describes again, he's going through these verses, and he's used different terms, and we've talked about those. We were a while on the prince of the power of the air, and we talked about the children of disobedience, which is what they do. They are children of disobedience as lost people. Uh, We are children of disobedience by nature. Uh, But here he speaks of their specific nature, and we're by nature the children of wrath. Again, it's important to note that he is explaining the blessings of God in the salvation of the Ephesian Christians. That's what he's doing. He's explaining to them what they were saved from, what they were before, what they are now in Christ. So he he makes sure they understand that specifically, doctrinally, as well as positionally and practically. He wants them to have these great truths when he goes back to all the way back to Ephesians chapter one and like verse 17, when he talks about the blessings of God that was bestowed upon them. Actually, verse number seven, whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Then he has a semicolon there, and then he goes on. He's going to explain to you what those riches of his grace are. He's doing that now. He's still doing that. He hasn't stopped doing it. And he's continuing to explain those blessings of salvation. It's important that that we are reminded about these things. So number one tonight, the point I want to make to you is remember it's his encouragement, and it's important. It is important to bring things to your remembrance. It's important for you to be encouraged by the truth. It's important for you to be encouraged by the scriptures, that you take your encouragement, right, that spirit of courage, that you take it from the scriptures and from the truth, that that's where it comes from and nowhere else. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost ministry is a ministry of teaching and remembrance. It's to remind you. John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So they're expl- he's explaining it to him. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17. Paul is continuing the same thing that the Holy Spirit's ministry is. He is the He is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doing the exact same thing. He says, for this cause, in verse number 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul is not saying this is just for the Corinthians. This is just for a certain group of people. It's for all Christians is what he's explaining here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 24, we have the remembrance meal of the Lord's Supper. That's a remembrance, right? It's an ordinance and it's a remembrance. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. See, so it's a cup of remembrance. It's, it's an ordinance for us to remind us of Jesus' death of how he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and then he rose again from the dead. This is a, a meal of remembrance. That's what it is. It's not a sacrament. It's a, it's a remembrance. It's an ordinance. It's given for remembrance. That's the purpose of it. Some people like to memorialize or remember people a certain way. Well, God tells you exactly how you're supposed to remember Christ. And in what way and in what ordinance you're, you're to do that in. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. Again, we see that same thing. Paul's following here in Ephesians the same pattern of bringing things to their remembrance, of teaching them things 
about their salvation that they may not understand or they may not know. He says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So refuse the other nonsense, the, the profane and old wives' fables that are out there, and remember the, the sound words, nourished in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So the Bible is constantly showing us that there's things that we have to remember. We forget so easily. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 6 through 7. Timothy is discouraged in, in, in this portion of Scripture, and Paul is writing him back to encourage him. And he writes him back to encourage him. He says this in 2 Timothy 1, 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, these are the promises of God. These are the things that the children of God must remember. How do I know that Timothy had a problem with fear and doubts and concerns and worries and everything else? And his mind would drift and he would have to, and he would be scared and fearful because for the same reason what Paul is saying to him. Paul's remedy for it is to remind him that the fear that he has is not coming from God. That doesn't, that's not what God is not putting you through that. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. When you get saved, he gives you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you have fear in your heart, they are reasons to exercise faith. They are not reasons to crumble up and sit in a corner and suck your thumb. You cannot do that you will be devoured. You'll be devoured. I'm telling you, you have to exercise faith in times of fear. Yeah, but my feelings tell me the opposite, that I am destitute and that I am in a lot of trouble and that things are worse than I really understand and that everything is horrible and everything is bad and everything is this and everything. Yeah? And what are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to exercise faith. Look, exercising faith isn't when everything is going great and everything is perfect and there are no obstacles in front of you. That's, that's, not, that's not the time that faith is exercised. Faith is exercised when things are horrible. When you can't see what's going to happen. When you can't control what's going to happen. Sometimes God puts things out of your control. Well, I don't like that. I don't either. But it doesn't matter how much you like it. You can like it or lump it. it doesn't change. It's not going to change anything. What you have to do is exercise faith and believe God. Because... Faith is exercised when we cannot see. We must believe. You must believe God when every feeling you have is horrible. You have to believe God. That's just, that's real simple, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's real simple to say. It's harder to do. Yeah, I know. Because every feeling in your flesh wants to tell you that life is horrible and that everything is bad. And when I see the scriptures, what does God tell me? Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the Apostle Paul said very clearly, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So then what does that tell me? What it tells me is by the grace of God, I have to rise up out of my fear 
And I have to believe God and exercise faith and march on and march forward as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I cannot look behind me. I cannot look back. I have to march on. I have to march forward. I don't have any time to lick my wounds and whine like a baby. Amen. I have to march on. I have to march forward. I have to press on. Through the hardest circumstances of life, I have to believe God. I wasn't planning on staying there that long, but Amen. now I'll move forward. <laughs> but God's people, they need encouragement. They need to be reminded what Christ has done for them and in them lest they be weary and faint in their minds. When your fear comes upon you and you feed into it and you give into it, you're not considering Christ, you're considering you. That's what you're considering. You're considering yourself. When you, you continue to do that, you're considering, I'm considering me. Well, that's a good way to get you in trouble. There isn't anything to consider. I have to consider Christ, lest I be weary and faint in my mind. Because, see, that's where the battle is. It's right in your mind. I know men that couldn't get off the couch. There wasn't a thing wrong with them. They couldn't even get on the, off the couch and go to work. They said electromagnetic rays from the sun or some, something else that, I don't know, some electromagnetic spider that bit them and turned them into Spider-Man. I don't know what it was. Something anyway. Sun was shining wrong. Metal was flying in the air. I don't know. They needed some kind of parachute around their bed. I don't know what it was, whatever. Anyway, and they couldn't get up out of bed. But you know what happened? Wife threatened to leave them, and they were like, whoa! Man, they started running races then. Never seen him move so fast before. Had three or four jobs done, made thousands of dollars, even slipped it through the offering box. I didn't even ask him for a thing. What's all that about? Hmm. Guess that Wi-Fi got shut off or something. Huh? Became Superman. No, if you're defeated in your mind, you won't get off the couch. You won't get out of bed. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I've seen it. I've watched it. I just never, God never let me live it. It's just like, oh, you down? Well, you better get up, boy. You better get up because the devil's already devoured you. You better get up. You better trust me. You better believe me. You better get up. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm telling you. You better get up. Don't lay down and die. You better get up. I don't know who needs it, but somebody did. 2 Timothy 2.14 Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Hebrews 10.32 But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. But call to remembrance. Paul is saying, Paul is using the technique in Hebrews as well, and he's saying call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated when you were saved, right? And you, you endured a great fight of afflictions. You went through. Sometime in your life, he's telling them, you remember those, those afflictions that you went through, that God brought you through, and you remember those to strengthen you for the battles ahead. And some of you are going through some of those first afflictions in your Christian life. You're, you're starting to go through some of them now, and you're being affected by them. He says, call to remembrance the former days. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. Another point of remembrance. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of the, these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He said the same thing Paul said, didn't he? 
He said, man, I got to stir you up a little bit. You need to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. Sometimes you got to stir it up a little bit, right? It's got to be stirred up. Sometimes God stirs you up a little bit, doesn't he? Knowing that shortly I must put off my, this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to put these things always in remembrance. He's saying, don't forget these things. Remember these things. Go back to these things. That technique is in the Bible is it's the simplest things that we forget. And you got people out there that want to argue about flat earth but don't know how to go out and get a job and pay their bills. Amen, right? Right, they're flat broke. That's right. <laughs> That's right, Lee. But they ain't going to go to work. They're talking about the flat earth, arguing too about the flat earth. They're the flat earth apostles from their mom's basement. I'd, I saw one guy out at the concert one time out there. We were preaching outside the concert. He was walking around, and he saw some of my videos or whatever, and he had this sign. He was like, he's like, yeah, I'm the flat earth apostle. Do you remember that guy, Jacob? I'm the flat earth apostle. I'm looking at him like, right. you know, you know the gospel. You got a car. <laughs> I can't get her out there. Like, no, you, you, you can't. Not, not working. <laughs> He's a flat earth apostle. Like, no, you, I think you better worry about some other things besides how, the shape of the earth right now. Like the shape of your brain. You better, I think it'd be a little more concerning. <laughs> Let's focus on that for a bit. Right? But people will grab those things instead of the, the simple things that are right before them from the scriptures that are important. Do you know what I mean? They'll make that the important doctrine. It, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be that. It can be anything, any doctrine they do that with, except the ones that they need to, right, that they need to focus on. They'll run with anything except what's going to help them in life, Right? All truth is important. I agree, I agree with that. But God has set, set apart the things that we're to be very careful of to follow. The doctrine of Christ is the, is the number one importance in the scriptures, who Christ is. And the fact that you have the scriptures, period. That's another issue altogether, isn't it? Moreover, he says in, in Jude verse 5, it says, I will therefore put you in remembrance so you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. You see, they were delivered from Egypt, but they didn't want to be God's child. They didn't want the gospel, or the gospel of the Old Testament, you could say in that sense. They didn't want to follow the law of Moses. They didn't want to follow the sacrificial rites that were there. They didn't want to follow it. They didn't want to follow God. So they came along with the Israelites. There were many that died in the wilderness. Why did they die? Unbelief. They all fell through unbelief. They didn't believe God. They didn't humble themselves before the Lord and seek his face. Amen. They didn't cry out to him. Instead, they turned around and said they wanted to go back to Egypt. Remember, they tried to stone Moses, get a captain, and get themselves back to Egypt. They said, we like being slaves. We want to go back and be slaves and eat the garlics and the leeks. And we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't want to go to the promised land and go through all this battling and war. Reminds me of, what was that guy's name that went along with Christian for a little while till the slew of despond? What was his name? Pliable? Yeah. Pliable, reminds me of Pliable, right? He goes all the way up to there, and he was like, I'll see you. I'm going back home. I like that guy's voice in that dramatized version. It's funny. Good day to you, sir. It's God. He's like, well, this is where we're going. I'm going home. He turned around and walked home. That's what he did. He walked back home, and they all laughed at him and jeered him. And it says he died in the city of destruction, right? Wasn't worth it to him. Wasn't worth it to him. So Paul is reminding us. That's what he's doing here. Uh, number two here. By nature, it says the children of wrath. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
Man's, what does that mean as a child of wrath? Man's sinful acts derived from his fallen nature. It's not, that, that's, where, that's where it comes from. Yeah, he chooses to sin, but he can't really choose a whole lot else. He doesn't have power. Man does not have, lost man does not have power in himself not to sin. He doesn't. He doesn't have power or help to fight sin. He doesn't. Though there may be certain societal things that keep him in line and, and the law, civil government might keep him in line, it do, he'll find a way around it. The depravity of man will always find a way around obedience to that. If he wants to disobey, he will find a way to disobey. It will not matter what the obstacle is, right? It's only by grace when we are saved that we are able to obey the Lord, that we are able to trust Him. Now, we are not perfect in that, but if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the promise of God. And God, if God tells us to walk in the Spirit, it's because we can. That's why. If God tells us to, He, doesn't, he never told us uh, to be sealed with the Spirit. That's His work. He did tell us to be filled with the Spirit, right? And He did tell us to walk in the Spirit. So He told us those things, and the reason why He told us those things is because they're things that we can do by grace. God has given the grace for us to do those things. Nature often signifies one's birth and education. Uh, turn to Galatians chapter 2. You'll see that illustrated here in verse number 15. Paul said, but... But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So Paul is, it, it, it deals with his birth, right? How he was, how he was raised there. That's, that's the same idea that is there. We who are Jews by nature, was what Paul was saying, also men's natural reason and conscience. In Romans chapter 2, verse number 14, you'll see man's natural reason and conscience that is there. For when the Gentiles, verse number 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. So naturally, a man knows that lying is wrong. That's why he, he does it in a deceitful manner, right? He's deceitful. He's sneaky. He knows that stealing's wrong. That's why he does it when nobody's looking, right? That's why he does it like that, because nobody's watching him. He knows adultery is wrong. That's why he does it under cover of night. How does he know that? Because that the natural man, it's written on their heart. That law is there. They know they don't know the ramifications of sin. They don't understand the consequences of sin because that is supernatural. That is God shows that. See, Satan will always shield and hide the consequences of sin. When Satan wants to tempt you to do evil, when he tempts you to do evil, he will use your nature, the sinful nature that you possess in the flesh, and he will shield you from the, seeing the consequences. He'll focus on just the pleasure of sin for a season and not on the consequences of those sins. But the Holy Spirit shows us the consequences of sin. Reminds us. Brings to our remembrance. The Gentiles who have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law. Also the general sense and practice of mankind is by nature. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair... It is a shame on him, right? The Bible says even nature teaches you that. That's why we can preach that out on the street, and that's not being legalistic or anything like that. It's natural. That's just natural. God's Word says that's na it's natural for a woman to have long hair. It's not natural for a man to have long hair. That isn't natural. It's heathen. It's like I, I, I was going to start a, a series that today on tattoos on on should a christian tattoo and i'll be starting that uh what friday lord willing but my power went out everything went pew, everything went out everything shut down i was right the, i was getting i was 15 minutes into a broadcast Wait, is that funny did, you, did your power go out no you're just laughing at me okay well <laughs> anyway, 
She's like, ha ha. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the, but the, I'm just kidding. She didn't say ha ha. I don't think it did. Maybe, maybe the little girl inside of her was doing that. But anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, see, now you're going ha ha. See? Uh, but it just, pew, everything went dead. I'm like, whoa. I was like, I just got the word tattoo out of my mouth. I was like, I did. I'm, I'm serious. I was like, we're going to talk about tattoos. And pew, it went, everything just went dead. I'm like, it was weird because I'm in that room and, it, and that room's dark in there when there's, when there's no lights. It's like a cave. I call it the concrete compound. It's like, I'm like, whoa, that was weird. Everything shut off. Everything. And it took him like three hours to get it back on. So I couldn't do the broadcast. But anyway, uh, so we'll do it, Lord willing, on Friday. But we're going to talk about that. And I was, I was, the reason I mentioned that is because those are, he, it's heathenistic. All those tattoos are, it's heathen, it's heathenism. That's all it is. We call it paganism, but the Bible calls it heathenism. It's, it's heathens. Heathens tattoo. Christians don't tattoo. That's, are there Christian people that have them? Oh, I'm sure there are. But it's a heathen practice. There's Christian people that have Christmas trees. But God still says, learn not the way of the heathen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you hypocrite. It is, the, it is the best title. It's one of the best titles. It's got to be the top ten. And that year, that's how Pastor Cooley was the Grinch that stole Christmas. If eyes were daggers, I'd have been dead. That was a rough crowd that week. The first time I mentioned it, I, I looked out and I was like, I know how Moses felt. You've been rebellious since the day I knew you. No, it, it, was, it was pretty rough, though. It was. Whew. Remember that, Lee? It's pretty rough, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll never forget what Russ said to me. <laughs> no, you didn't. I'll never forget what Russ said to me. He looked at me after that sermon. He walked up to me and he goes, No, I don't want to give you any Christmas presents. <laughs> Oh, that was so funny. Oh, sometimes I miss that guy. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it was funny. It was it was funny. That checked it twice. <laughs> anyway. Oh, okay. Anyway, but that but those are the that's that Christmas tree. That's the way of the heathen, right? That's what tattoos are. The way of the heathen. That's like. So now, if you have one, okay, cover it up because now you know. This is the way of the heathen. God doesn't want you to have those. So keep them covered, right? Uh, that's, that's what we should do. We shouldn't be proud of them, right? You show, you know, what you're not ashamed of, right? So if you're a Christian and you're ashamed of it, then you keep it covered. It's just it's the way it is. That's just the way it should be, right? Amen. That's it. That's just it right there. You may not be able to get them removed or do anything like that, but you can do your best to cover them. That's what I would do if I, if I didn't like something, if I, if I thought it was wrong, right? So anyway, I'll show you that. You listen on, on uh, Friday, and it'll be a couple days. It, it won't just be Friday. It'll be next week too, but, but I'm going to walk you through some things and, and show you. The occult history of that is it's pretty, I mean, you can't. I'm going to use all of their own words to show you what they say, not what Baptist preachers say, but what they say about tattoos, what they say, their own people, and, and a book that was written on the history of tattoos, tattooing, which was written by a, not a Christian, by, by heathen, okay? So anyway, let's get back to this children of, of, uh, of wrath by nature. He is a sinner by nature, and therefore he commits sin. No child has to attend a school of sin in order to learn how to sin, right? You didn't like sit your child down and be like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to sin today. They might teach you a few things, right? But they, you don't have to teach them how to, how to sin. They do it by nature. Some things that are, uh, I say very often, I'm not surprised that children do certain things, but I do become shocked at the way we as parents can handle those things sometimes if we don't handle them correctly, right? Some things that are not right in children, some things that are not right in children will do things uh, like I, I've said to you before, I don't believe in bad children, but bad parenting. Because we're raising them. 
in that sense. Now, when they're older and they move on and they decide to go their own way, that's different. But when they're in your house, they need to, they should follow your instructions, right? So when I say that, though, I don't mean that children are not bad by nature because they are sinners by nature. But God sent parents and gave you children to govern, right? So in the family government, there are rulers and governors and tutors and little children can be unpredictable and no one parent should be judged by an occasional outburst of a child's depravity. But if that child's depravity breaks forth on others and each child from that family exhibits the same antics and it continues, you don't have a child problem, you have a parental problem. And you need to humble yourself and figure out where it is. And maybe just maybe ask for some help before it breaks forth on everyone and everything. That's the wise thing to do. That's not, no one's better than anybody in this room. We all need one another. The church is here to edify one another. That's what we're here for. Amen. And honestly, most of the time it does come down to the mother. Because she's with them all day. And a child left himself brings his mother to shame. He'll bring his father some shame too, but I'll tell you what. If mom's with them all day, it's going to be mom, it's, it's mom's duty. Dad's there to reinforce it, but it's mom that's there, right? She's with them all day. She's governing their behavior all day. And yes, they are nature, by nature the children of wrath, but you are instructed to govern them and to nurture them in the faith. Sinning is as natural as breathing for the lost. Because of their sinful nature and sinful actions, unbelievers are children of wrath. The wrath is terrible beyond comprehension. It is called the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God in Revelation 19.15. The fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Hell is the wrath of God unleashed fully. It is eternal suffering first in hell, then in the lake of fire. Jesus called it in Matthew 3.12. Turn there, he called it unquenchable fire. whose fan is in his hand, and he will, thoroughly, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Either God burns the chaff in you now as a saved person, or as a lost person, the chaff burns in an unquenchable fire forever. That's the only two choices. There is no other. It's called the furnace of fire in Matthew 13, 42. It's called everlasting fire in Matthew 18, 8. It's called the vengeance of eternal fire in Jude, verse 7. The vengeance of eternal fire. God's vengeance. In Luke 16, 24. You see it there. Says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. It's called torment. Revelation 14, 10 calls it torment. Revelation 20, verse 10 calls it torment. That's the wrath of God. It is a place of wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13, 42 and Matthew 24, 51. It's the place of torment. There are no exits. Only God brings you up to judge you at the white throne judgment for the lost and to cast them in the lake of fire for all of eternity. There is no way out. The way out is now. Jesus is the way out. Amen. Because he paid it all. He suffered it all. Unbelievers are children of wrath because they are children of disobedience. The phrase, even as others, describes a universal condition. It is not merely some special sinners who are children of wrath. It is all of them. And Stephen Anderson had some stupid thing where he tried to say, I forget what it was. There was something about, do you remember hearing that, Jacob? There was something that he had about, oh, 
only certain people are like the children of wrath and others are just sinners or something like that. He had some, it was basically his whole mixture of false theology uh, to let you know that sodomites couldn't be saved, that they're hopeless and they can't be saved. Who in the world could go out and preach a gospel to people and be like, well, you know what, you're hopeless. Because of your sin, you're hopeless. Well, you are hopeless because of your sin, but there's hope in Christ to pay for your sins, right? Of course, you're hopeless in yourself, but Christ, you're not hopeless in Christ. Christ is hope. He is the hope of the ages. There is no sin that Christ cannot forgive and that he will not forgive. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's what he said. So his call is repentance. That's God's call. It is not is to repent and believe the gospel. It's not that that sin is too great for Jesus or God can't change a filthy sinner. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what a fool. What a fool to tell people that, to believe that, that God can't change filthy sinners. That's what God does. That's his work. Is to change it. What's that? Yeah, it's his specialty. That's what he specializes in. He specializes in taking the dead, polluted, disgusting, filthy, rotten sinners that we are and making us sons of God by Christ Jesus. That's his work. That's how powerful the atonement is. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is to take you who are polluted and dead in trespasses and sins and make you a child of God like that. Amen. That's the power of the gospel. Unbelievers are condemned already. And at any moment, they can be plunged into eternal destruction. Jonathan Edwards described this in his sermon, Sitters in the Hands of an Angry God. In 1741, when he preached that, he said, The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them. And the pit hath opened its mouth under them. The unseen, unthought of ways and means of persons going suddenly out of the world are innumerable and inconceivable. Unconverted men walk after over the pit of hell on a rotten covering, and there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they will not bear their weight, and these places are not seen. All wicked men's pains, efforts, and contravance which they use to escape hell while they continue to reject Christ and so remain wicked men do not secure them from hell one moment, so that thus it is that natural men are held in the hand of God over the pit of hell. They have deserved the fiery pit and are already sentenced to it. And God is dreadfully provoked. His anger is as great towards them as those that are actually suffering the executions of the fiercest of his wrath in hell. And they have done nothing in the least to appease or abate that anger. Neither is God in the least bound by any promise to hold them up one moment. Hell is gaping for them. The flames gather and flesh about them and flash about them and would fain lay hold on them. O oh, sinner. Consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of the wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Powerful, isn't it? The only one thing that can be done is Christ to save your soul and to forgive your sins. Those men were gripping their seats at the time. It's powerful. It's moving, isn't it? <laughs> it's convicting. Amen. That's, that's who God is, though. And that's who we are. But praise God for Jesus, Amen. who forgives sinners. Amen. Because that's, that's where forgiveness comes. When you see your awful condition and how dirty and filthy you are, and you cry out to Christ for forgiveness of sins, He is well able to save your soul. Amen. And to make you a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. God separates your sin as far as from the east is from the west. He has separated it. All those iniquities are gone. All those sins have been plunged into the pits of hell and to stay there for all of eternity. Never to more be seen of you 
or to be judged of you. We are by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Jews were so, as well as the Gentiles. And one man is as much so as another by nature, not only by custom and imitation, but from the time when he began to exist and by reason of our natural inclinations and appetites. All men, being naturally children of disobedience, are also by nature children of wrath. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Our state and course are such as deserve wrath and would end in eternal wrath. If divine grace did not interpose, by nature it denotes something in our constitution, in our very being, and even as the rest denotes that this was universal, not a peculiarity affecting some, but a general feature applicable to all men, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but all men. Children of wrath denotes that we belong to a race which had incurred the wrath of God. Our individuality was so far absorbed by the social body that we shared the lot under which it had come. What reason have sinners then to be looking out for the grace that will make them of them of the children of wrath, children of God and heirs of glory? You ought to be looking for that, amen? Looking for that salvation in Jesus Christ. God's wrath is a reality. It is grounded in his essential holiness as appears from the fact that God swears in his wrath in Hebrews 3.11. And it belongs to the idea of the personal God as he acts in history, who cannot look with equal indifference or equal satisfaction upon virtue and vice, piety and impiety, wisdom and folly. It is not to be regarded as a mere modification of divine love, as either love sorrow or anger or the anger of love. It is not biblical to say that a God who has wrath is not a God of love. He is both. The objective reality of divine wrath on account of sin is an axiom of natural theology. In Romans 1.32, as well as of revealed, it is presupposed in the atonement and must be carried into any conception we may form of future, future retribution. You've got to consider that, that God is angry with the wicked every day. And if they don't repent, they will die and go to hell. And God is still a loving God. He is still a just God because he sent forth his son and poured all his wrath on his son for your sake. And if you reject so great a salvation, what do you think you deserve? After you tried to do an inroad around Jesus Christ, to become righteous without Christ, to, to walk into heaven in your own righteousness. Damnable, isn't it? Damnable to even think it. Such a thought, right? That we are righteous enough to see God in our flesh? No. Your flesh, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's going to fall. It's got to die. It's got to go into the ground. It's got to be sown in corruption. And it's got to be raised in incorruption. This body can't see God because it's wicked as hell. Amen. This flesh, your flesh, can't see God. It would burn up. So what's it got to do? It's got to be sown in the ground. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That body has to go down and rot. It's got to rot in that grave. Nothing will keep it from rotting either. Put it in a box, make it all fancy, do whatever you want to do. You ain't going to change it. That body's going to rot. Right? It's got, it's got to rot. But your soul, the only part of you that is saved by grace, when you get saved by the grace of God, that flesh drops down to the ground when you die, and that soul goes up to be with the Lord because it's the only thing that can stand in the presence of God because it has the Holy Ghost sealing it under the day of redemption. That's the only reason you can see God in that, in that way. Because it's sealed. Under the day of the Holy Ghost has sealed it. So when he sees you, he sees Christ. When God sees you, he sees the blood. He sees the blood atonement that was made for you. That's what God sees when he sees the children of God. But this flesh, it is not redeemed. The sin nature must fall to the earth. It must die. It has to die. For it is appointed a man once to die. 
And after this, the judgment. It has to die. It stinks. It's putrid. It's rotten. That is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Right? It has to die. It has to fall. And that's why it's gonna. But the part that's been redeemed first goes to heaven. What's the part that's been redeemed first? Your never dying soul. It's been redeemed by faith in Christ. So it's been redeemed. So it's going to go to be with God. But that body has to wait till that great judgment day when Jesus calls him out of the grave. And when he calls him out of the grave and, it, and, and our bodies meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our bodies too will be perfect. You shall be with him because you shall be like him. He'll make you, your body, like his, fashioned after his body. That's what it'll be like. But this old body has to die. Amen. Only through saving faith in Christ can the terrible wrath of God be escaped. And the Bible warns that now is the day of salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Hebrews 2, 3. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? Hebrews 12, 25. But you know what? If you are here and lost and dead in your sins, I couldn't leave you without reading the next verse here. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you are saved, you'll be encouraged by this too. Very seldom preachers, uh, they're not too often that preachers should ever leave anybody in hell. <laughs> they, should, they, they should show them where Christ is, amen? And uh, there's a, not too often that you should do that. But look what it says here. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I like this verse, though. Verse 4, but God. All those things that he was talking about, children of wrath, children of disobedience, dead in trespasses and sins, guilty before God. But in verse 4, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit in together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Then he goes in to read those verses, doesn't he? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You think about that, the, the significance, Rebecca coming to Christ last night and thinking about these verses now, and you think about how that shows the before and the after. And then you can study those verses and you read those and you look at what God says here, Rebecca. You read what God says in his word and you meditate on those verses and meditate on what he says here. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. But God, all those other things, man, children of wrath, children of disobedience, man, that's, uh, that's bad news, isn't it? All that sounds like really bad news. Well, it is, but verse 4 starts the good news, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, amen? You study that out and you look in the scriptures, but God. Look at everywhere. You see that. God, that's everywhere in the Bible. You'll see a lot of things going on, a lot of bad things happening, and then it says, but God. Amen. That's how God works, friend. And that's you and I. That's If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been saved by grace, you, you see that. But God, who is rich in mercy. God, so rich in mercy, reached down to save lost sinners. Reaches out with the gospel even tonight to save lost sinners. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, the gospel is preached all over the world. Right? The Bible is read, the gospel is preached 
online, everywhere you can imagine, anywhere where under the sound of the voice that people hear the gospel, it is preached, and God is still reaching out to sinners today, still saving lost sinners from the uh, from the guttermost to the uttermost, to the mo from the most vile and disgusting ever. God is saving them, changing them, making them new creatures. He never he doesn't stop at verse two. Uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 8 and 9, which a lot of fundamentalists like to read. They never like to read verse 10. Yeah. They don't keep reading. Right. Well, you better keep reading. That's why when you study Ephesians 2, now you study Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Now read that. In the context of all these uh, sermons that we've preached on this, expositors, we went down the verses, and now, and you at the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to the saved that you were dead and he gave you life. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That's who we were. That's what we did. And that's who we were. Among whom we also, all, also, we all had our conversation in times past. Not just our speech, but our whole life. That was our life. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So see, you, your actions may not follow through, but you can be just as filthy if you fulfill the lust of the mind. That's why you're to cast down those imagine, imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Cast it down in the mind and your hands and feet will never do it. Amen. You cast it down in the mind when it comes up. Take no pleasure in sin. Take no pleasure in it when it comes in your mind. Take no pleasure in it in its actions. But cast it down in the mind. When temptations come and pleasures of the mind come and sinful pleasures of the mind come, cast it down right away and your hands will never commit such acts. Your feet will never go where you ought not go. Amen. Cast it down in the mind first. Among whom also we all had our conversation times past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. That's it. That's the only thing that separates you from lost people tonight. Or doesn't if you're not saved. But if you are saved, it's the only thing that separates you. Those two words. It's the only thing. We're not better than anybody else. We're better off <laughs> by grace, amen. But we're not better. The only difference in us and the children of wrath is but God. That's it. That's it, those two words. That I hope you walk humbly before God, not think you're better than other people. But it'll make you grateful and humble and thank God that he saved your soul and go out and tell somebody else how to be saved. Amen. That's what God wants you to do. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your words. Thank you for the power of them. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change men's lives and to make new creatures out of them. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, save the lost. Strengthen the saved. Help us all to walk with you and to live for you and serve you. Thank you for this book and thank you for this church and thank you for your grace. But God, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.